Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Jesus said we're to be wise as serpents. So we do the best that we can, but not to allow intimidation to control our faith and our love for others. Because God will use you and you will be surprised. And once you break that ice, you don't want to quit. Stories stir the soul. Stories reveal. And stories heal. In this podcast, we will give you an inside look at someone who's had a life-changing breakthrough. Real people, real stories with real breakthroughs. As a health and wellness expert and coach and Todd as a men's mentor, we've seen firsthand what God can do when it comes to a breakthrough. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isburner. Yes, and this podcast is part of the Spark Media Network and it can be found on the Edify app, Pray.com, and KHCB Streaming, among others. Yes. So, Wendy, uh-huh. uh, you've heard that um, we become the sum total of the five people we hang out with the most. Yes, I have heard that. And I mean, I really do believe that the people we associate with and the environment that we're uh, putting ourselves in uh, is really going to kind of help shape us. Yeah. Whether that's for good or bad, we're going to be shaped by it, right? Well, that's true. That's true. But what about those people that we hear of that no matter who they hung out with, you know, if it was a poor <laughs> choice of a uh, of posse that they were hanging out with or just um, a bad environment, they still overcame because God gets a hold of them in spite mm. of that stuff situation. Yeah, there really can be a breakthrough. And mm-hmm. I, I I truly believe that. It takes a miracle. And uh, that's the reality of what God's able to do. Seriously, God can do anything with anyone. And our guest today is proof of that. Yeah, Victor Torres was a gang warlord and a heroin Wait, addict. Wait, hold on. Just let me seriously. A I gang know, warlord I, I know, really. and a heroin addict. I know. Wow. <laughs> and when you see him and you just hear him, a, yeah. uh, just a moment here, you're going to be amazed. Oh. <laughs> you have to use your imagination. Right. To right. picture that. But he's in New York City's uh, violent streets, and his life had taken a very dangerous downward spiral into drugs and violence. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was his mother's prayers. Go, mama. Uh, Go, mama. Yeah, where God spared her son from this very dark, horrible lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And through those prayers, Teen Challenge and the mentorship of David Wilkerson from Cross and the Switchblade, yeah. uh, Victor saw deliverance and uh, the discovery of God's call in his life. Yeah, and Victor is the founding pastor of New Life Outreach. Church in Richmond, Virginia, and over 1,000 people, more than 35 nationalities and cultures, they come together and worship in this vibrant and joyful congregation. New Life Outreach has 22 churches, isn't it? Throughout the world, including Brazil, the Dominican Republic, Peru, and Africa. 
1971, Victor and Carmen, his wife, who actually just went to be with the Lord in February uh, 2022, uh, they founded New Life for Adults and Youth. And with headquarters that are in uh, Richmond, Virginia, this is one of the largest and most respected addiction recovery organizations in the country. Mm, he's been asked to speak you know, all over the world, and yeah. he's just done a phenomenal work. He's a very humble man. But he's also authored uh, a number of books, including Reaching Your Addicted Loved One, and why you need the Holy Spirit. And then it's his autobiography, Victor, which is also made into a movie, uh, that really will kind of knock your socks off if you pick that up. Uh, his latest book is entitled Spirit Revolution, Equipping You to Radically Change Your World from the Inside Out. And uh, there's a, another new release uh, uh, off of that. It's called Spirit Revolution, 60-Day Devotion. I really want to get that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Victor, just he just believes that there's this tsunami of sickness and sin and it can be overcome by God's tsunami of grace and power through the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to find out what that means and all about how God has been using him as he takes us on his journey. Well, thank you so much for being on your biggest breakthrough, Pastor Victor Torres. What an honor and a privilege to have you on today. Thank you, Wendy. It's my, my privilege, my blessing. Mm. It's always uh, a blessing to talk about Jesus. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, you have quite the story, and you have um, just allowed God to use you in such miraculous ways. And so before we get into the the fact that you are a pastor now, which is miraculous within itself, um, based on how you started out uh, your younger years, let's unpack your younger years and walk us through the journey of how God uh, just moved in your life. Well, you know, Todd, Wendy, it's it's a great blessing to be on your program today. Uh, just to think about that uh, brings a lot of reflections and uh, experiences of, of the past. Because if anybody would have told me back when I was on the streets, uh, when I was doing what I was uh, doing, living the way I was living, that one day I was going to be preaching the gospel and that I was going to be traveling around the world, telling my story and a movie was going to be made out of my life. Uh, I would have thought at that point, you must be high. You're going to be <laughs> doing something uh, out of this world because that was not uh, in my mind. Uh, it was the furthest thing. Because yeah, you, you know, were high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was high. Exactly. You know, Pastor, it's really, it, it just strikes me that anybody who's known you over the last years and known of your work has to use their imagination to try to think about what in the world would that have been like for my Victor to be the guy that he's describing? Like, you're nothing like that guy. But it started back in your youth. So take us right back to your childhood and particularly when you, when you hit age 12 and things, everything seems like everything turned in the wrong direction. Uh, my parents came from, uh, they migrated from Puerto Rico to New York City, like many families, you know, looking for the American dream. And so uh, they moved into this particular neighborhood uh, East New York, uh, Brooklyn, East New York. And little did they know that this was one of the worst places that they could move into. Uh, it, it was known uh, really like Brownsville, and it was known for uh, crime. It was known for gangs, uh, addiction. And here I was uh, just 
turning seven years of age. Uh, and suddenly I started growing real fast because it, it, the, the neighborhood, the schools were pretty rough. And um, I had to fight my way into school, even elementary school. I had to fight my way into school and out of school every single day. Uh, many times I would come home with a bloody nose, uh, black eye. Uh, so, you, you know, that was shaping my life. It was forming my life. And, and it, it's almost like I was going down a hill and I couldn't stop. Uh, and so at the age of 12, I was already running around with a little gang. Uh, in the neighborhood, and uh, I had an encounter with one of the uh, young men from another gang, and I started carrying, at that time, I started carrying what they, what they used to call a switchblade. I pulled out the blade, and not thinking, I stabbed the guy as we got into a ruffle. I stabbed him in the armpit uh, several times, and for the first time, I, I, I felt the blood in my hand, and I was so scared, and Panic! I started running, and I, I wanted to run home. And as I, I ran home, I would see the blood in my hand, and and uh, and I was so afraid of what was going to happen. And so I ran home, and uh, my parents had a small apartment. My mother tried to hide me underneath the bed, thinking that uh, because she knew the police were going to come, because the 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 whole neighborhood was in an uproar. If you know anything about New York, in the summertime, there's just thousands of people on the streets. And, and I lived in a block where there were these big, huge tenement buildings. And so we had easily, you know, five, 700 people or a thousand people living in that, on, on that block. And so sure enough, the police came knocking on our little apartment my mother had hit me under the bed, but, you know, I always, uh, well, I was, I was always, you know, on, on the long side, the tall side, my legs were hanging out from <laughs> underneath the bed. There's a giveaway. <laughs> that was not a good idea. So anyway, the cops came in, they pulled me out and here I was 12 years of age. I'm going to juvenile detention center. And that started uh, a life of crime for me because from that moment on, I, had been arrested four or five times, went from that experience to 14 years of age. Uh, I took my first shot of heroin. Uh, now, officially, I was in the gang. And by the time I was 16, 17, I was a bona fide gang member uh, owning three weapons, three guns, uh, rifle, uh, doing all kinds of crazy things on the street. Wow. Well, Victor, let me let me ask you a question, just because I'm curious about this. You, you grew up in that neighborhood. Here you are, seven years old in that neighborhood, and everything around you must have started to seem like that's what normal life is like. Even at age 12, joining a gang. I mean, I'm I'm guessing as you progressed in that kind of lifestyle and, and then leading into crime, did you really even know the difference between? what was right and what was wrong, or did this all seem okay to you? I knew the difference uh, started growing on me fast. It, it was a struggle. It was a battle uh, in my mind because I really didn't want, I didn't like what I was becoming. I, I really didn't want to do that. I, you know, I aspired to be somebody in the future. You know, I had good grades, uh, um, but I became street smart real fast. 
You think it was to be accepted? Well, I felt like, you know, if I wanted to survive, I had to accept. I had to accept that because there were many times when I would go to my father and I would I would ask him, why don't we move out of here? You know, why why do we have to live in this place? You know, Mm. let's go somewhere nice, you know. But my father, he was a hardworking man. He was a good man, a good husband, a good father. But he was afraid, you know. He was uh, short in education, uh, so all he knew to do was whatever he could do with his hands. Uh, he held two jobs to keep the things going in the family, but he he never made the move, and that just provided uh, more time and and more of the same thing, where I got deeper then in, into the drug world. So while your dad was a hardworking man, a good father, a good husband, he wasn't around much, right? Because he was working so much, right? Yeah, he was not. And, yeah. and did you have um, siblings as well? Yeah, I have a brother and I have a sister. Okay. Uh, yeah, and of course they were they were feeling the same thing. My little brother, a great guy, you know, he was following me everywhere, and so he and got caught up in that as well. He 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 managed not to get caught up as deep as I got caught up in it. My sister, my mother protected her. Your mother uh, and your father, but I'm guessing more your mother, must have felt just tremendous <clears throat> angst and frustration over seeing you going down this wrong road and just things declining in your life. How was she reacting during this period of time? What was going on with her? Oh, she she was losing it. She uh, she didn't know what, what to do. Of course, she was the one that, that dealt with me the most, uh, even though she also worked. You know, both of them worked. We we would babysit each other, or, or the streets. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we were growing up in that kind of environment. Uh, she just went crazy, not knowing what to do. Uh, when she realized for the first time that I was shooting heroin, uh, and it was one day. You know, if if you if you watch the movie, you'll see that scene where she discovers for the first time that I was a a, a junkie, that I was a drug addict, because she rolls up my sleeve and she sees the marks yeah. in in on my arms, and so she just lost it. She was broken uh, desperately. From there on, she tried to find a solution. Uh, she would talk to people. Uh, she was not a, a, a Christian at that point. She just, like any typical mom, tried to do everything that she could keep me from dying uh, on the streets. Moms will go to great lengths yeah. to to take care of their children. We're, we're mama bears. And when we're in a place of, of being desperate for our children, we will go at, at great lengths to to find that solution. And so that's what your mother did. And, and tell us the story of of uh, the John 316 uh, situation that she found herself in and how, uh, you know, the power of a praying mom, how this all uh, came about. Right. Well, after a while, you know, she continued to search for an answer. She would talk to doctors. uh, She would talk to the people in school, you know. uh, And then one day she heard about this little church uh, not far from where we were, I would say about a mile from where we were, and they invited her to the little church. And it was a small storefront church, and it had the sign on it, literally, John 3.16. No words, just that. (laughs) There she had an encounter with God. She just realized how much she was missing. 
because prior to that, she even went as far as going to people with witchcraft and all kinds of stuff, trying to find a, an answer. Now she's in this little church and they're preaching the gospel and uh, she has an experience with Jesus. And she found not only the Lord for her own self, but, but she found the power of prayer. And for the first time, you know, God is in our house where before God didn't live in our home, you know, and now God is in the house. And of course, she wants to convert everybody, you know. She, you got light she want, and dark in there right yeah. now, <laughs> duking it out. Be a Christian, you know, get saved. She wants my father to, <laughs> to, to come to the Lord, you know, my little brother, my little sister, because they followed, you, you know, whatever she would uh, say. It, it was a little tougher. It was harder uh, for her to communicate with me because by that time I, I was already deep into heroin addiction and also some other drugs that I, I was taking. And, and I was so deep into it that I was high every single day. And then I was also selling drugs, uh, mm -hmm. pushing drugs to, to survive. Mm -hmm. And so I was so, so into it that I, that my heart got hardened. So anything she said, I, I rejected it. And I didn't want nothing to do with her faith or, you know, her religion. As I used to tell her, you know, you, you become a religious fanatic. But my mother was determined, boy, she, she got on fire for God. And, and I, I tell you what, she prayed. There was a little closet in, in our apartment, not a walk-in closet. It was like a backup closet closet because she couldn't really kneel down in this little closet, but she would back into the closet. She would close the door and I would walk in at three o'clock in the morning under the influence of, of drugs. And I would hear the only voice and the only person that would be uh, up was my, my mother. And she would be praying and I would hear her pray and say, God, you know, call on God, please, Please look at Victor. Please change Victor. And I really thought she had lost it, you know. And at times I would bang on the door hard or I would open the door abruptly and she would fall to the floor. And uh, she would just get up very calmly and tell me, son, I know right now you're blind. You don't understand what, what's happening. But I know that God is going to answer my prayer. And one day you're going to be changed. And then she would start you know, now I realize that she would start prophesying and you're going to be a preacher and all this stuff. You know, she was right on. You must have thought she was high <laughs> hearing that stuff. Well, well, she was high on the Holy Spirit. Amen. She was high on God. You uh, know, seriously, I just love the power, oh, again, of a praying mom. Like, that gets, gets me just fired up because I have uh, one son, and, man, I, I do a lot of praying. And, um, and God does answer. But I, I think about how um, your heart was so hardened. And it was her prayers and it was the power of the Holy Spirit that eventually softened your heart. And, and let's talk a, a little bit about an instance that happened because she heard that still small, quiet voice. And she heard from the Holy Spirit uh, that moment when you were up on the rooftop with, with some uh, gang members. Share that story. You know, I was a member of a gang and I had a lot of enemies. And uh, it was a Saturday, Saturday mid-morning, I was up on the roof and these uh, four guys. And real quick, what, what did you used to do on the roof? Well, I was I was actually shooting my rifle. I right. had a <laughs> long rifle. 
and I was shooting my rifle to the you know walls and and uh, these four guys surprised me and and uh, came from behind very quietly. They got a hold of me. Their intentions was to pick me up and throw me off the roof. During that time, at the same time, my mother was in the kitchen, but she had been praying since early in the morning. She had been praying. And suddenly, she, and she, she told me this after she said, suddenly she heard this voice in her mind, Victor's in trouble. And so she thought, where could he be? And so she thought the rooftop because she knew that I would go up there. And so she ran up to the rooftop and she just opened that door and crashed against those four guys. You know, at that point, she became the gangster. <laughs> she was that. full of the spirit of God mm. and she just charged those, those uh, four guys and they thought she was nuts. They thought she was crazy, you know, but uh, they already had me up uh beyond their shoulders, ready, leaning to throw me off this five-story building wow. where it would have taken my life for sure. And uh, she saved me. She, she literally just saved my life. Mm. And um, that was a moment that, you know, I, after that experience, and I think I understood it more after I came to Christ, mm -hmm. uh, the power. Uh, she, she had this fighting prayer life, this fighting faith. And she would do a lot of fasting too. Mm -hmm. And she would fast sometimes for a whole week, just praying mm -hmm. for my salvation. Well, you know, I Victor, I think more than anything else, your story would encourage a lot of moms and dads and others who are praying for their unsaved loved ones to not give up because I'm sure you've encountered many people who have told you, Victor, I've been praying and praying and, and they just don't seem to, you know, come around. What do I do? What's your answer? Like, how, how did your mom face those moments of feeling like, God, will you ever answer my prayers? And what do you tell those who are still wondering, God, are you going to answer my prayers? Yeah, I always tell, you know, of course, I tell parents never give up, you know, never, ever give up. Just continue to pray and press on. Uh, because all all this time, God is on your side. He's working. He's working a miracle. He's working a breakthrough. And, you know, it's a spiritual warfare uh, be, because you are fighting a lot of unbelief and uh, a lot of discouragement. For example, you know, teachers would tell my mother, your son is going to die in the electric chair one day. They're going to find him dead on the streets. He's a criminal. There's no hope for him. Mm. And even uh, uh, a pastor who was a distant member of our family, told my mother, there's no hope for Victor. He's too far gone. And the best thing you can do is try to lock him up or, you know, somehow put him in some institution, but there's just no hope for him. Well, she got a lot of that, a lot of that kind of discouragement, but she would just dust herself off, get on her feet again and go forward and continue. And then she, if she would hear about any evangelist that would be in, in, in the area or whatever, you know, she went one time to this evangelist and she took a little hanky with her and she had the evangelist pray for the hanky, you know, and, and one day she, she surprises me and she says, here, I got this little hanky, she just slips it in my pocket you know, and I didn't even know what was going on. You know, all this time she was sneaking Jesus into my life. 
Sneaking Jesus with a hanky. No, that is so good. The power of belief, right? Well, you know, the fact that she was declaring out loud for her to hear and for you to hear that God has plans for your life. And I think that's one of the keys right now that, that, that all of us need to really take to heart, that when you feel like either God isn't hearing or he's taking too long, keep declaring what you believe God wants for that person. So how did God answer your mom's prayers for you? She never gave up. She continued to pray for me for uh, since she found out that I was on drugs for seven straight years, and she never gave up. Now, all this time, I overdosed several times, and I was incarcerated, went to uh, uh, hospitals in, in New York, uh, got on the methadone program. Were you incarcerated because of the drugs? Because of because drugs of, and okay. crimes, mm-hmm. right. And so... But she never gave up. You know, she was persistent. She was a fighter. And one day when I least expected it, when I least expected it, well, prior to that, she had heard about this guy, David Wilkerson, who was coming into our neighborhood, into my neighborhood, preaching on the streets. And we would see this guy, you know, and we would say he's crazy, you know. He's nuts. Even the police didn't want him there, you know. And some of the churches thought he was nuts, you know, because he was doing something different. And it was a very simple message. And so she heard about him and she talked to him. The next thing she knows, he's opening up a home, young man like myself, uh, you know, to reach out on the streets, gang members and drug addicts and so forth. And one day I'm walking in the house in the little apartment and I walk through, through the kitchen. She is like anxiously waiting for me. And she starts telling me about this place that she found. Well, all the time, I thought she was talking about a clinic, you know, and she was talking about this place that, you know, this this man opened up and it's going to help you. But she like didn't want a rehab t- clinic. Yeah, yeah she yeah, yeah, did yeah. not want to tell me it was a Christian place or anything <laughs> like that, because she knew, you know, she in, in many in many ways, she was she was a uh, she was a psychologist because. Mm. She, 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 she was used, bringing in the sneaky she knew how Jesus. To work you. <laughs> oh yeah. She knew, she knew, she knew my number. So anyway, she tells me about the place and uh, she said, why don't you give it a try? You're dying. You're dying on the streets. You're dying. Uh, you know, you, you're going to destroy your life. Give it a chance. And so I said, okay, you know, I'll go. And so the next day uh, she made an appointment, you know, I went, uh, when I got there, immediately I found out it was a Christian place. I saw these guys with Bibles in their hands and all this, and I, I didn't want no part of it. I said, I'm out of here. This is not for me. But for the grace of God, for the grace of God, you know, God worked uh, in, in my heart. Now, the first guy that I encountered when I went was Nikki Cruz. Mm-hmm. Nikki and I were enemies on the street. And, and so because he was, he was in a rival gang, I was in a rival gang. This guy is telling me about Jesus and all this. And so, I, you know, I really thought up it was, I, I thought it was a setup, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so. It was a Holy Spirit setup, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I didn't stay. But the next day I came back and uh, they accepted me and I, I went in and, you know, when you are on heroin, you have to withdraw uh, in those days, they didn't send you to detox to a clinic to detox with other drugs. It was cold turkey. Mm. 
And so that night I started shaking and shivering. I didn't know why I was staying in the place, but, I, you know, for some reason I stuck it out. And I stuck it out for three days, 72 hours is the peak when you your body is trying to, to clean itself from all the stuff that you have shot into your veins. And you got this super flu and, you know, you're, you're, you got cold and hot sweats. So I decided to leave. It was snowing outside. I decided to leave. But as I was leaving, this other young man stopped me at the door and he said, look, Victor, you've tried everything in this world. I mean, you've tried everything. Why don't you give God a chance? And he left me right there. And suddenly I just stopped. I thought about it. I walked back into the building, walked into a small room there by myself. And I just dropped to my knees and I just started to talk to God. I said, well, if it's true what my mother's been preaching to me all this time, what what David Wilkerson has been preaching, uh, Nikki and these people here that you're able to change my life. I said, please do a miracle. Please change my mind. Do something in, in, in my life. And right there, as I called on God, you know, something truly began to happen. And that's why I believe that salvation is supernatural because, yes. you know, Jesus came in, into my heart. He came into my life. And all I know is that when I got up to my feet, I, I felt like I had changed. I felt that I had something now that I didn't have before. And I went crazy. You know, I just went crazy. Just I like your mom. <laughs> oh, I was crazy. I, I was, you know, and, and of course, yeah, I blame my mom for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, oh, good. That's good. Pastor Victor, this wow. is just a, a beautiful, <clears throat> beautiful story. story. And so many have heard this story, but so many have not. And I just think of uh, just the encouragement of, of you continually sharing your story. is just, it's just powerful and, and the power of a praying mom. But, um, you know, because of your experience, you have now uh, also through all these years basically modeled uh, what you went through. And God has blessed your organization with New Life Outreach um, Church and, and what you're doing for, for those that are in, in addiction and, and uh, need a home and, and just need right. uh, to, to break through. You've been that resource, you and your staff, and it's just beautiful how God works through and does these miracles. So your, your, your latest book is Spirit Revolution, right? And so I, I want to talk a little bit about spirit revolution because you um, talk about um, what did he say? Um, uh, oh, the, your, what's the term that you bio, use? What were you saying? The bionic. Uh, the bionic. Bionic yes. problems. Bionic problems. Yes. yes, I've never yeah. heard that term. Bionic problems with it. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that, especially right now in today's world that we live in. The bionic problems. Yeah, they 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 really are. Uh, because we face today a total sensitized generation. Uh, the, the problems are so deep. Uh, the conflicts are so deep. You know, the, the young people today, they, they are so deeply involved into not just the drug world, so many other things that are life-controlling, uh, that when you sit down with them and you listen to them, it, you know, you suddenly realize that the usual doesn't work anymore. Uh, you know, the simple counseling that uh, we always do, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't register. 
And I started to realize that early on in our, in our ministry, that addiction today is totally different than when I used to know it because it accompanies many other issues. So it's like multi-layered, multifaceted. Yes, addiction. and it becomes a culture. Mm. And, you know, it's very hard to leave it, to walk away from it. And so I realized that if it's a bionic problem, then we need bionic power. We need we need the power of the Holy Spirit yes. uh, to really work in, in the lives of people today because drugs are much tougher, much harder, uh, much stronger. They kill more people than ever before. And so we always, you know, I always challenge the staff and I challenge uh, uh, churches. You know, it's like Jesus said, this one only comes out by prayer mm. and fasting. Yeah. And and what he was saying really is you need to go a step, preach the casual Christianity that we've always preached. You know, we have to go in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust the power of the Holy Spirit to touch these lives deep inside to be delivered. So, you know, this is where I get that from. You know, uh, Pastor Victor, uh, you have certainly um, earned the right to speak about it because if I've got my numbers right here, you've uh, you've planted like twenty two churches around the world, but you've had uh, you've been involved in helping people with addictions for like over fifty years in your recovery right. centers and all of your work. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a long period of time, but you've definitely seen things change in terms of how people are using drugs, what the impact is having. But the one thing you've never seen change, and that is the limited power of the Holy Spirit. It is unlimited. And I love the way that this is the core of your message. Like, we can't do this in our own strength. So with today and what's going on, how, help us understand, how do we open up the door in that person's life? Or how, how do we allow that person to begin to experience what only the Holy Spirit can do? Right. I think that, uh, you know, the church has to provide the means, the ways uh, to reach people today. Uh, we got too many welcome signs in the church. Mm. We have to go out. Like, for example, you know, uh, this is a, a, a fresh vision that God gave me about uh, a year ago. And that was to just go out and buy the biggest RV that I can buy and just slap the word hope all around it, but make it so colorful that when you drive down the street, you, you turn heads. And so we go every Friday to the heart, to the heart of addiction here in Richmond, Virginia. And it's on a street called, uh, a road called Midlothian, where there's a gambling place right in front. And then there's a, there is a strip joint right next to it. And we are sandwiched right between, and that's where all the prostitutes, all the heroin addicts, you know, all the pushers, they're all there. And we go there. And, and I got to tell you this little story real quick, because we didn't know where exactly we were going to park this thing, because it's big, and you can't just park it in some commercial center without a permission. But I saw this small little commercial place, and right on the avenue there, oh, and all the motels around it, where these people, they're transient, you know, they live. And so we just parked it in this one place. And uh, one of the business owners came out and said, what is this? What are you doing here? And we said, well, you know, uh, we're here to bring hope, the hope of Jesus. He says, yeah, but I mean, you know, you have no permission to do this. 
And I said, yeah, but look, you know, we're giving people hope. Well, anyway, he agreed to it. He agreed I would stay there. But then uh, a week later, the owner of, of the commercial park came. Somehow he heard that we were doing this, and we had a crowd there in front of all the stores. And then he came up with his big pickup truck and uh, with a straight face. And he says, what are you people doing here? We said, well, bringing hope, drug addicts and these women that are out here. And, you know, uh, he says, wait, nobody told me about this. I own this place. You don't have permission. And I said, well, you know, we're here to help people. I give him the same story. And he said, well, you're going to have to pay something. And I said, well, what do you want? I mean, how much do you want? He said, then he shocked me when he grabs my arm and he says, just pray for me every day. Oh, wow. that's amazing. And right there, I just knew that mm. that was God. Yeah. And, cool. and now, you know, hundreds of people have been touched yeah. and have come to the Lord because we're there every Friday night at 7.30 p.m. And sometimes we're there till 10 p.m. And people from other churches are coming to, to help out. And, it, you know, we have to take it beyond the four walls we we have to go after them and even if your son or your daughter is at home you have to somehow make provision for them with information and not be afraid to talk to them about it because deep inside there's there is a pain there there is a hurt it's just that sometimes we allow our children to intimidate us and, you know, we allow people to intimidate us, but we don't realize that inside there's a hurting person that really is reaching out and they're just waiting for somebody that, and I always say the problem is not with the world. The problem is with the church. The problem is with us that we're afraid to tell it like it is and tell it with love. And of course, tell it with the authority of, of the spirit. Amen. Amen. I love that. And, you know, speaking of intimidation, um, <laughs> you're not intimidated because the Holy Spirit goes before you, uh, God goes before you, but you uh, have gone to many prisons and preached and shared the gospel as well. And so I recall hearing a story about a gentleman that was pretty tattooed up and um, you were up in front and sharing and he wanted to intimidate you. But let's kind of talk about that story because I, I love, first of all, just how you're courageous and you're brave. And I believe that that's what the church needs to be, especially in this day and time. And you're a beautiful role model. And I, I appreciate you. So let's um, share that story real quick. Yeah. And, you know, and I believe that everybody has that, it, you know, every Christian has that if, if they would just, you know, I say, just relax in Jesus, just relax in the Lord. You don't have to be some special person. You know, you know, we have the power and the authority to face these people and, and, and reach them. And we were in uh, El Salvador. Whenever I travel, I always do a prison or two prisons. Uh, we were in Colombia not long ago, and we were inside of this prison and it looked like the Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, it's you're surrounded by all these men, you know, cartels. And, and in the natural, you would be intimidated. But in the Lord, you know, and Rosalinda was with me on this uh, specific, specific occasion, you know, and I just told her, stay close to me. Not that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be able to fight all these guys, but, you you know, just stay close to me. And, and do you know that even before I started speaking, and I'm talking about men that have killed other men, they started to weep. Mm. Tears began to come down 
you know, from their eyes because the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. Mm -hmm. And that's what it takes. And when we were in El Salvador, mm -hmm. we, we preached at this prison where they had just killed the warden six months ago. So they didn't want to give me the whole population of the prison, which would have been about 3,000 men. So they said, we're only going to give you 40 to 50 men at a time in a room. And so I said, yeah, I'll take that, you know. And so we went into this, this room and uh, we were there and suddenly they were waiting for this one guy to bring him in. And so they bring this one guy in and he's shackled, but he's naked from his waist up and he has no shoes. And when I looked at him, he was one tattoo from the top of his head all the way to his toes. You could barely see his, you know, because there were tattoos everywhere. And of course, you also saw the tears, which meant how many people he had killed. Mm. And he knew why he was there because they just brought him to the, to the meeting. And he knew why, why he was there. And he saw me, I'm sitting in front of them and he saw me and he started to stare at me, but like me trying to intimidate me. You know, I'm tougher than you, or, you know, that kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, just look right back at his eyes. Don't take your eyes off of him, but just love him with Jesus' love. Mm -hmm. And I just kept looking at him, and we started staring. It was a battle. We started staring at each other, and suddenly I see tears coming down his cheeks Real and he tears. bows his head. And when I do the altar call, because I, I will do a straight out altar call. If you want Jesus in your life, I want you to stand up to your feet and I want you to raise your hand. And by that, you're telling me that I can pray for you. And he was the first one that got up. Well, when he got up and raised his hand, the whole place got up. You, you know, <laughs> raised their hands because this was the toughest guy yeah. there, you know. Wow. But uh, that's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Wow. Amen. Yeah. That, and there's true, true transformation that takes place because I have been back to these prisons, you know, like a year later, and many of them come back to me and says, you know, since you was here, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm taking Bible studies and uh, amazing. Wow. Beautiful. Victor, there's a, there are people who are listening who are thinking, oh, Lord, I would, I would love to do what Victor is doing. I'd, I'd love to have that courage and that boldness. I'd love to lead people to Jesus, but I'm, but I'm no Victor, and I, I haven't been what he's been through. So uh, how in the world can you possibly use me? What do you have to say to that person? Because not everybody's going to go into a prison and preach or get a big motor home with a sign that says hope on it and go park in a oh, bad area Oh, that was a really town. great idea. I love <laughs> They're it. They're great ideas. <laughs> but for just the, the average Christian who, I mean, there should be no such thing as an average Christian, but the person who really loves Jesus and they want to share Jesus with others, uh, help them get started. What, what's the first step they take? I know that it's easier said than done. And I understand. I understand that some people feel, no, I could never do that. But I think that's because of the training that we have had. We tend to become too religious and intimidated by our circumstances. You know, there's a big word here, and it's the word try. You've got to give it a try. You've got to start somewhere. Just, you know, be simple about it. Get other people that will agree with you. Put together a little group. Uh, maybe go and 
feed some of the ho- homeless people or do something, you know, find a place where you could go. You, you know, one of the things that we do is look, we, we cook the hot dogs and we do the hamburgers and, and, and we give out donuts. We go to Krispy Kreme. We, we give them the best donuts. <laughs> so we don't give them cheap stuff and, and clothing, you know, and water and all of this. Well, now, after a while, and I mean, we have women that are, that are coming out with us. Mm. We, you know, we have young women. We got older women. We got people that have never been on the street to witness for Jesus. And now they're coming back and they're real. This is easier than what I thought it was. That's cool. You know, and you will find that these people will respect you when you're sincere with the love of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we are to be careless. You know, Jesus said we're to be wise as serpents. So we do the best that we can, but not to allow intimidation to control our faith and our love for others. Because God will use you and you will be surprised. And once you break that ice, you don't want to quit. Ah, oh, that's so, so good. good. So good. That is really encouraging, and uh, and I and I pray that people will do just that. They'll relax in Jesus, but they'll take the first step, <laughs> and they they will be convinced that God will provide the opportunities. Uh, before we let you go, Victor, I want to ask you because you've got again such a long history of of serving the Lord and seeing so many great things, and God has used you in great ways. And first and foremost, I want to recommend to people that they get your movie. It's just called Victor. Yeah, And really get an insight. If you want to get inspired and get an inside look, uh, get that movie, Victor. And his books, and you can go to uh, victortours.org. Is that correct? And and get that. But we do have discounts for you uh, for uh, one of his books and his movie as well, and that will be in the show notes. Yeah, we're going to mm-hmm. give you all that information. But Victor, because you've been around a while and you've seen the Lord at work and you've seen the culture change so much mm-hmm. over these last years, um, do you really believe that 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 God is going to bring revival to the church? And, and and what do you base that on? You know, I I base it, of course, on on scripture. Uh, and also discernment, uh, you know, discernment of the word, discernment of the times, uh, the mood of the people and so forth. But, you know, I, I believe years ago, God showed me that there were two tsunamis that were coming. One of them was the tsunami of what is happening today, the violence. But we've always had that. But it was going to be in, in a form like we have never seen before. And that is happening right now. But at the same time, God showed me that there was another tsunami that that was coming. And this tsunami was coming to the church, not to the world, because revival is not of the world. You know, God doesn't bring revival to the world. He brings revival to the church. And when the church is revived and it's on fire for God, then the world will respond. And that there would be an awakening in the church together with, you know, when much sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And that will always be a fact and a truth. But we know that prophetically that there, there, there is a word of an awakening in the word for the church in the last days. And I believe that that's, it's happening right now in some pockets. It's, it's happening. You know, I think that uh, you know, the church in America has become so many things that we have left our first love. You know, we need to come back to the simplicity of the gospel. I go back to David Amen. Wilkerson's message, you know, it was, was a message of love. You know, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, he really does, you know. And, 
you know, that simplicity is what people are looking for. They're not looking for the complication of religion and the so many other things that we have gone after instead of simply keeping Jesus simple. You know, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And that's our calling, calling as Christians, you know. And I believe that that's going to really grow in a powerful way in the church. And it's happening right now. There are places in the world where there is revival breaking up. And even right here, we're seeing it, it's seeing it in our church. People are hungry. We just got over the COVID. And our church is growing. Our church grew during the COVID. And, and it's growing. And, you know, the homes that we have, we have a, a home for women called the, the Mercy House. And we have also a home for men. And they're still coming in. Uh, men and women that are trapped in, in drug addiction and they're coming in and they're getting set free, which, you know, we have had throughout the years, close to 30,000 young men and young women go through our homes. Wow. And today there's hundreds that are serving the Lord and are faithful, you know. So, I, you know, I'm excited uh, about these times. And I tell people this is a good time to be saved. And to be alive for Jesus, be a witness for Jesus. Amen. I just put together a T-shirt that says "Fentanyl kills, but Jesus gives life." Oh, man, <laughs> I'm telling good. you, what, people That's need good. it. <clears throat> Victor, right? God has given you so much great wisdom, and there's such light shining through you. You're such a—you really are. You're just an encourager and an example. And, uh, and you're priming us for the spirit revolution. Mm-hmm. I know you are. God mm-hmm. is using you in that yeah. way. So I, we just can't thank you enough for just being obedient and following the Lord's call and now yes. calling us to be obedient in following the Lord's call. Yes, and thank you for joining us on Your Biggest Breakthrough because you've certainly had yours and you've helped so many with theirs. And like you said, it just kind of wraps it up in this one simple phrase is, Jesus loves you. And that's what we want to end this on. Jesus loves you, Pastor Victor, and Jesus loves you, the listener. And we're so grateful. Thank you, guys. God bless you, and thank you so very much. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We will catch you next time on Your Biggest Breakthrough. So glad you could join us today. And you'll find a new episode every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've been encouraged by listening or viewing, would you just take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a quick review? That'd be so awesome. Yeah, and also please share this with your friends and loved ones. If you have comments or questions, or if you're looking for an advertising opportunity, please get in touch with us at yourbiggestbreakthrough.com. Or if you'd like to optimize your health and wellness, you can work directly with Wendy. Go to wendypat.com. Or if you're a guy and you're interested in mentoring and coaching, go to toddisburner.com. We look forward to having you join us on our next episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough.